0: For me, uh, I think the very first album I bought was Al Green's "Let's Stay Together," and uh, and then I kind of matriculated to the uh, the America James Taylor scene. I, I never was into the um, what we used to call in those days the really hard rock acid rock world. I right? I wasn't there. I was I wasn't ever there, even in the in the whole uh, drug scene. Matter of fact, I used to tell my students all the time. Um, there were five things that mattered to me growing up, uh, girls, baseball, books, music, and uh, burgers. And if I could have those five things in, in a day, if I had a girl I could take to a burger place and listen to music and have her watch me play baseball and, uh, and throw on a Springsteen song, man, it was a great day.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of set lusting bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fans i am your host jesse jackson joining me as we record this morning uh, i have a new friend mm-hmm. who is a writer a teacher and a massive springsteen fan uh, bob Pachilio. welcome to the show
0: well, thank you very much, Jesse. It's, it's it is more than a pleasure to be here. I, I, I uh, uh, an op- any opportunity I had to spread the the gospel of Bruce Springsteen, um, and in the, the magic of of his music is it's, it's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, that's the whole purpose of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. It is just that was um, over six years ago. I decided that there was a void that there wasn't anyone talking about. His music. And now, then, there's three or four great Springsteen podcasts out there. But, uh, and I I welcome them all. I love them. Mm -hmm. We all do things a little bit Mm -hmm. different. Um, So, kick us off. Tell us a little about yourself.
0: Well, um, (laughs) I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and my parents moved to New Jersey thinking that was a move up. (laughs) <laughs> Lodi, New Jersey. And when they realized that that wasn't really a move up, they moved uh, to East LA. And then when they realized that that really wasn't a move up, I moved out. <laughs> and I went to San Diego to, to be a teacher, San Diego, and specifically at Mount Carmel High School uh, here in San Diego. And I live in Encinitas now. Um, my parents never really did understand real estate, but at least uh, uh, at least they imparted enough information for me to get out of town. Um and um, I first got hooked up with Bruce Springsteen by, by um, in really the early nineteen, I mean, the very early nineteen eighties. Um, here on the West Coast, you know, Bruce was mm, wasn't as big a deal, um, right? And uh, so, at, but I was hanging out with New Jersey guys and New York guys and a couple of Chicago guys who said, "You need to talk about you need to talk about Springsteen in your classes." And I can't believe you're not talking about it. And, you know, and driving around in their car, listening to, um, at the time, listening to Darkness on the Edge of Town, uh, I got caught up. I uh, went back to the first albums and, uh, and uh, I, you know, I was looking at your podcast page and that picture of Bruce with the bandana and the jean jacket. That yeah. was the first time that I took, yeah. at the time, my girlfriend wasn't even married yet. My wife of 36 years. We went to see Bruce because he finally came to San Diego in the Born in the USA tour, and that was it. And we saw him in December, and I had a chance to see him play Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and I was hooked. Or as I, uh, Bruce would say, we were we were. What's uh, how's he end up uh, growing up? We were airborne.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to a little Bruce talk, talk to me about, as you were growing up, you know, starting in Brooklyn, then Jersey, then L.A., Mm. um, what kind of music did your family listen to? Were Mm. there, was it a musical family?
0: It was a, uh, to use a a Yiddish term, it was a schmaltzy musical taste. Okay. (laughs) My parents liked Perry Como and Andy Williams and Frank Sinatra and... You know, they would talk about seeing the Temptations at the Copa. Uh, very, I mean, my parents were very New York. I mean, okay, but Tessie and Louis, my mom and dad. You know, my father would say, "Jesus, my goodness gracious, we got yeah. we got to see the Temptations, Tessie." And um, uh, so, you know, they but they didn't play instruments. Uh, they just they they were into the crooners. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me. Uh, I think the very first album I bought was Al Green's "Let's Stay Together," and uh, and then I kind of matriculated to the uh, the America James Taylor scene. I, I never was into the um, what we used to call in those days the really hard rock acid rock world. I right? I wasn't there. I was I wasn't ever there, even in the in the whole uh, drug scene. I Matter mean, of fact, I used to tell my students all the time um, there were five things that mattered to me growing up. Uh, girls, baseball, books, music, and uh, burgers. And if I could have those five things in in a day, if I had a girl I could take to a burger place and listen to music and have her watch me play baseball and and throw on a Springsteen song, man, it was a great day. (laughs) Who would need more than that? Who needs drugs?
1: Exactly. There you go. You mentioned, did you rebel against your parents music or did you acknowledge i mean did you get it that it was good it just wasn't your kind of
0: music um you know i um i got it that it was good um but to me the crooners were not musicians yeah They, they weren't and they weren't songwriters i mean we you and i jesse grew up I think my guess is, uh, in the, in with the with the, glo- with the age and the glowing age of the singer songwriter. So Paul right. Simon and, uh, uh, yeah. And J- James Taylor, uh, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, to us, to me, I should say, um, it, it was a value that this was, the, that the person on the guitar, Carol, Carol King and the piano, didn't matter. Whoever yeah. that person was, they were singing their song that they wrote. And that had such a, a larger value to us than somebody who was performing a song that could perform very well, but it wasn't their story. It wasn't their song. Yeah.
1: And I think there, the, it's two different skill sets, right? There is that, a uh, song stylist like you certainly would s- not say anything against a tony bennett or a frank sinatra or uh you know someone who can sing so well and interpret mm-hmm. a song but yeah i graduated high school in 77 so mm-hmm. that's i i think we're comparable yeah. age-wise and so yeah it was um queen and and Mm -hmm. you know i agree james taylor and barry manilow and and you know this uh i um i loved all these you know musicians that were sharing of themselves and stuff so yeah absolutely agree with you so you know your buddies from the east coast are telling you you got to find bruce you did start listening to him can you articulate what about him spoke to you um
0: I think that um, if I didn't get it then, boy, it got nailed right into my head when I saw Bruce on Broadway. Um, Okay. There was a reason why so many people thought that the Bruce on Broadway show was a spiritual uh, awakening because I grew up with uh, parents that didn't graduate or arguably graduated from high school. yeah <laughs> arguably you know they never went to as my father used to say you never went to college yeah um, and uh so they were self made people uh, my father, my mother had a a drawer, and she would on it she had pasted all the jobs my dad had, and it was just this long list that she'd cross off the next phone number and the next phone mm-hmm. number and and hearing that uh hearing Bruce talk about his father and how lower either lower middle class or upper lower class they were. Yeah. Uh, they were right on that cusp. That that's where I was, you know, uh, uh parents who you went to you went out to eat once a week maybe it was pizza at Mario's, you know, and mm. that was it. Uh a big treat was going to McDonald's. Um yeah. Uh, so I, I think that Bruce's world was was my world. You know, he is Bruce is uh, six years older than I, um, uh-huh. and, and, um, uh, so he was, uh, it was interesting because in my relationships with the teachers that I've met over the years, almost all of them are Bruce's age, born in 1949. Uh, I just kind of connected with that group a little more than even my own group. I, I graduated from high school in 1973. Okay. Um, and, um and there was something about the Billy Joel and the Bruce Springsteen in the 1949 time. Uh, and, um, so I, I think, uh, you know, that was kind of how, how I related to him. He was a working class guy. He, he had, you know, I told I used to tell the kids all the time, you know, when he got a guitar, it was a secondhand guitar. It didn't have, have all the strings, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, that, and, 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 and Drew Bruce's opinion was, you know, look, uh, you know, we ain't doing drugs on the bus now, Clarence. You right. might be, but I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And, and he used to say that um, that there were so many things working against him that the last thing he needed was drugs. Music yeah. was the drug, and I would tell that to the kids all the time. I'd say, I say, I I know you guys, um, you guys think you need an escape, but uh, there there are other there are other places that you can find that that joy. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, they, they would, I would tell them, you know, I never, ever, ever use marijuana. And they would look at me like, but you're cool. You're hip. How can that be? And I'm like, remember the five things, girls, yeah. burgers, music, baseball, you know, and books. That's all that mattered to me. And that's, that's where it got my high. And um, yeah.
1: So we have a very similar background in that way. Um, I grew up um, my dad was in the army, we moved around a lot. And, um, so when I started, I started a brand new high school when I was a freshman, so I didn't have a lot of friends. That's, I, I really, um, was, a, an overweight kid, not very athletic, loved, um, you know, comic books, books, mm-hmm. reading at mm-hmm. any kind and, you know, music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, I, I never had kind of a peer pressure, and so by the time I was a sophomore a junior and had d- developed friendships, um, I was the guy who didn't drink. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was part of my label as, you know, mm-hmm. and so therefore I never, you know, uh, grew up in a very Um, conservative uh, Southern Baptist house. They, you know, my mom, and partly because I now know that my father was an alcoholic. And um, in the younger days, there were, you know, times when, you know, he would lose all the money on payday. He worked in the military Mm -hmm. because of drinking. So in our house, one sip of beer meant you were in the gutter Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you, you were homeless, right? You know, Mm -hmm. and they didn't call it homeless back then. You were a bum in a gutter. So I I never had that. So I'm now 63 Mm -hmm. and people are amazed. Like you grew up in the seventies and you never experimented with pot, even pot. And I'm like, no, I, uh, I just, it, it was just not in my scope. Um, I have nothing against it. And I, 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 I understand the, recreational purpose of it but no it just wasn't something that uh, so i have the same kind of people are like but but your age come on you know (laughs) exactly right it it was the joke uh i i know they're talking about now as we're recording this they're they're going through a nomination for a supreme court justice and uh there was someone making a joke like so you've never tried marijuana they said we could Change that to so you never went to college mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. so many people mm-hmm. did right exactly so why what led you to teaching because it obviously to me and I don't want to put words in your mouth this felt like it feels like this is a calling to you yes and I think the best teachers do teach that as almost a vocation right that this is you know
0: it's a lifestyle it's yeah a, it was a, it became a lifestyle i yeah. i was in college i remember exactly where i was i had a i was an assistant to, to uh, my speech and debate coach and i had been in speech and debate when i was in high school which was the best decision i ever made um, not that i uh, not that i my debate coach used to say that your problem is that you're really good at talking but you don't listen uh, <laughs> And he said, you're never going to win until you start to listen, to which I, of course, said, what? Um, Yes, exactly. And um, so I, uh, you know, I followed after I graduated from high school, I kind of was an apprentice to him. And um, and then I was standing on a balcony at my college thinking, well, do I become a communications major or do I what 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 am I going to do? And I said to myself, gosh, I. I just like I like love working with the kids and, and working with teachers in high school in particular. And I love the subject matter. And uh, from that moment on, I, I started teaching when I was 21. Um, I'm 66 now. And I taught till I was 55, um, at least at the high school level that I continued. I was doing a little moonlighting uh, working. I was teaching teachers how to teach at the at the uh, local colleges. Eventually I last the last thing I did was I did some work for Teach for America. And um it was not it was rewarding because I was probably the only person that ever taught these young uh, graduate students who was a teacher. I mean the rest of them were all administrators, principals. Yeah. Um, I mean when I walked in, I said, look, I'm the real deal. <laughs> I yeah. got the I got the scars to prove it. Um so that's that's it. I uh and from the first moment I stepped into a classroom in 1977 and, and misspelled the word dolphin on the board. <laughs> I, I knew I had a lot to learn, but, yeah. um, uh, I, I, I love teaching that. And I should also add that I was, um, went to a Catholic school and you had to take a test to get in unless you were a football player, yeah. a good football player. Then you got in, even if you thought football was spelled with one O and it was, yes. too old. and, um, <laughs> so they tracked the kids. And of course I was in the lowest track. I, I, I'm not a very good test taker. I'm, running, I'm Italian. My parents didn't, you know, I took the SAT test. I never even prepared for it. I, I, you know, I barely got into college. And yeah. um, so I, I really got the kids who, who didn't get it. Um, I used to say to them all the time, you know, I'm the dumbest guy in the room by any statistical measure. And the problem is, every time I say "draw," my gun is out before you. Okay. I think of it before you do. Now, why is that? And the answer is because because uh, uh, of grit and determination, just straight up desire. I just want to beat you. I yeah. want to know. And what I have to teach you is that same grit and desire, because you're going to get beat a lot. And and you know, a lot of you kids, you know, you're not the You're not the brightest bulb in the candelabra, but you know what? After I'm done with you, you're going to shine pretty good. Yeah. And uh, and eventually, you know, I went on and teach the the more, the honors kids, but I always made it a point of, um, even when I taught American literature, I used to say to the kid, to the administration, I said, look, I will, I will teach American literature, uh, but I will not teach AP English. If the AP kids would like to be in my class, then they have to drop out of AP. And if the special ed kids would like to be in, then I, I'm happy to accept them, um, but they might need to come in with an aid. But I'd, I'd like to have the whole, um, the whole landscape of America in my room. And for the last, I'd say 20 years of my career, and it was the basis of the book meetings at the Metaphor Cafe. In that Metaphor Cafe that I taught in, I would have usually about a dozen AP kids, a dozen special ed kids, and then the rest of the riffraff. And it was amazing how um, how it worked, how the special ed kids were just, they, they were just, uh, they had no inhibitions, whereas the AP kids were very, I have to get the right answer. But at the same time, the AP kids were could help the special ed kids. I made them help them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and it was just a, a, a wonderful scene that people would uh, come and visit the class a lot.
1: Why did you end up settling on English and lit and American history? What, what about that topic spoke mm. to you?
0: Well, one, I can't do math. Okay. All I can do is subtraction. I, 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 you would get a check. I put it, the balance in the textbook and yeah. I subtract the rest of the month. Couldn't do I science. I don't know. I mean, it was, it, it was interesting me. It was interesting to me, um, to, um, On a level like talking about global pollution, et cetera. But, you know, I just, if you can't do math, there's a lot of science you can't do. And I just loved, I loved stories. And I loved history. And um, so, um, you know, um, uh, but I must say that when I began teaching, I was a speech and debate coach. And I taught kids how to debate. And, of course, you then got into all the current events. Uh, I eventually, in 1991, my, my kids won the state championship, and that was the year I retired. I said, you know what, I, my wife, we have two kids now. I just can't devote this much attention to this one particular thing. And as I was explaining to one of my alumni yesterday when he took me out to coffee, I said, if the moment that I stopped coaching, that's when I really started teaching more. When I really began to, f-. that was like Bob 2.0 you know, I could really start to pay attention to um, the craft of teaching Um, because it's, it's an, it's a craft. It's an art. A lot of times, you know, Bruce speaks about that too. You know, you, you're always learning and it's, it's the mastery of things. Um, And, uh, and I, I enjoy when I have a chance to go into a classroom now, even though COVID has kind of stopped that a little uh, to go in and speak to kids and, And I usually will always tell them, you know, your teacher is such a good teacher that he or she will let me come in and chat with you for a while. And they have such confidence in their teaching that they don't worry that they brought in me. And I think you get where I'm going on this. And a lot of teachers will not won't want me walking in the room because once the kids see me, they're like, dude, we got to have that
1: guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm just a guest. Mm -hmm. Do, um, Let's go back a little bit of Bruce. I always like to preface this question, Bob, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is mm-hmm. not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. I have had people on this podcast who have never seen him due to age and circumstances. I've had people that have seen him over 100 times and, you know, even, you know, two, 300 times. Mm-hmm. But uh, you mentioned seeing him on Broadway. Uh, do you count how many times you've seen him perform?
0: I was thinking about it. I was reading your your you know your questions about yeah. that. I think I've seen him seven times. Okay, uh, and that's very low in the Springsteen odometer of fans. Right, um, but you know, I, a friend of mine, Dave Rosenberg, who has seen him 150 times. Right? Yeah, who knows? I mean, he's very wealthy and he can fly around. And yeah. he will call me and say, "Hey, you know, come meet me in Philly," and I'll see Bruce and I'll like, Dave, I had a day job, you know, I, yeah. you know, I can't, A, I can't fly to Philly and B, I can't afford to do any of that stuff. Right. So, you know, it was a, it was always a treat. Um, I'm, I think I mentioned, I might've mentioned to you that um, one of my students took me to breakfast once and said, you know, I, I, I was reading this story about how a, an alumni was very successful, was able to buy his teacher a Porsche. And I said, yeah, that's a great story. And he goes, well, I'm not that successful, but I got two tickets for you and I to go see Springsteen of animal. That's uh, was, better than a porn. Uh, right? Than exactly. A yes. Way better. And that was the only time I had a chance to see him sing uh, Bobby Jean, and, um, and, uh, which is one of my favorite songs and uh, a song that kids would uh, would get in a big way. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's, there's this at least at least 40 or 50 songs that kids get about Bruce without even you explaining it, you know, they just like, wow, that, you know, so, yeah. Um, But um, the time that I saw Bruce on Broadway was an interesting story because I never, ever ever thought I would see Bruce on Broadway. My son uh, works in New York and uh, he was visiting and he said, dad, of all the people who should see Bruce, you should see Bruce on Broadway. And I go, yeah, I know, but you know, he's on Broadway. Yeah. I'm in California and, uh, and you can't get a ticket. So forget about it. Well, then the same young, the same man who, you know, took, got me the tickets to see Bruce back in Anaheim had, had, he was a, he was in a realty conference and he, um, he just literally went, went by that night and there just happened to be a loose ticket you know, and he, and he got in. So when this conversation was started, he said, Bob, you should just go to New York, go there for like five or six days. You'll get in, you you will, you know, somebody won't show up, you know, get in the wait line. So I, I did that. I flew to New York. My son got me a ticket he got me a cheap hotel room. You know, I was very nervous because I was going there without a ticket. I'm like, yeah. I hope this works. And on the very first night I, I walk up there and, um, and dang it, there's, there's a guy and a little kid in line already. And I'm like, sheesh, I'm not even the first person in line. And it was there like five o'clock. And the guy turns around, and it's one of my students. And I said, Frank, what are you doing here? He goes, I wanted to be the first person in line so that you got a ticket tonight. Wow. I said, shut up. And he said, and I got better news for you. There's a seat in the seventh row, Dead center. But I just heard about, you got to go in and buy it right now. $700. I didn't care. I walked in, bought the ticket. I took, he and I went to dinner uh, and uh, the rest is history. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite stories.
1: uh, Oh, that's a wonderful story. I mean,
0: he's a doctor in New York now and uh, yeah, and, and typically, right, you know, I, I taught at a very middle class high school. He's a Filipino doctor and um, from the Philippines. And, uh, you know, he's a, a classic example of a kid who came, uh, his parents had, you know, had nothing, you know, maybe yeah. Navy, Navy kid. And here he is, a doctor in Manhattan. Wow, that's great. That's good. Um, I'd love to hear
1: your opinion. And you tell me which one, or maybe you can do it at the same time. As a teacher, watching Spring Scene on Broadway, and as a fan, mm-hmm. um, because I watched it as a fan, but I have had different storytellers, I have had writers, and you know entertainers on the podcast talking about. In fact, I I don't know if you've had a chance, but um, I had a college professor. Tell me how he uses um, Homer's Odyssey and compares it to Springsteen on Broadway. That he mm-hmm. sees a big link in that in that storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, kind of as a fan and as a writer teacher, what mm-hmm. talk to me about the experience?
0: Hmm. Um, well, um, oh, gosh, um, it was it, it was really simultaneous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. The fan in me was uh, uh it was it was jaw dropping at the fan in me to be that that close. Because whenever I would see Bruce, as you can imagine, you know, we, we'd we try to buy nice tickets, but we we didn't have any connection. So Bruce sure. was always this figure that was about you know, an inch, <laughs> you know, the screen was up there, but you know, you really got to see the guy and, and being an older person, uh, my wife and I, we, we didn't want to get into mosh pit and all that, like a lot of the younger people, or even some of the really hardcore fans. So we had always been in a seat, you know, so we're, so to just have Bruce right there, or I'm in the seventh row from dead so he's right there. I and mean, so there was that, aspect that he really is really right there yeah I never thought I'd ever be that close to Bruce Frickstein I mean I did have an opportunity once to shake Mac Max's hand when he came and did a, a seminar on drum drumming here locally in Encinitas but I, you know so there was that and but then there was the the teacher in me and um you know I um <clears throat> um I taught at a Mount Carmel high school, which sounds like a Catholic school, but it wasn't, it was a, a, a public school, which was a small public school. That, uh, it sounded, it sounded like a private school. I mentioned it only because, you know, as a teacher, an English teacher, the subject of religion would come up quite often. Yeah. And when Bruce stopped and he said the Lord's prayer, and he said that he says that most every day as a gra- in gratitude, I, I, I was stunned because I do the same thing every night, sometimes every morning. I, it, it doesn't, you know, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care if you believe in God or not believe in God. I, who knows? You know, we'll find that one out when, when we're out there in the ether, as Bruce says. But to me, I felt like I have led a, uh, a charmed life, that, that a number of times things went the right way that could have gone the wrong way. And, um, and I just, I, I felt like I was one of those people who got to have a job that made a difference to hundreds, thousands of people. And I, there's even a website that says Mr. patelio made a difference in my life. I, I didn't make it. You know, somebody just told me about it and I went on it and it was like, I don't know, 500, 600 people on it. And when he said that prayer, I was just, uh, that's, that's what really knocked my socks off. I just like, holy cow, he's He's in the same mind space as I am. It's just, I'm, I'm in a different, I have a different crowd. Um, you know, my father wanted me to be an attorney and I used to say, dad, I don't want to be an attorney because I don't want to represent guilty people. I want to represent innocent people. And every day I walk into the, the, my courtroom and I got 30 innocent kids in there. And my job is to, you know, to release them to freedom. And, um, and I felt, I felt like that's how I felt when I was watching Bruce. That I was seeing the, I was seeing that guy a, seeing me on a way bigger stage, with way more profound. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at, what a, a, how, how wide the range of issues Bruce deals with.
1: Yeah, that that's that's amazing. Um, why did you decide to write a novel?
0: good question. Uh, once again, the same uh, person, uh, his name is Jim Reifus. Um, Jim sat me down once, and this is the man who said, you're going with me up to Anaheim. I couldn't buy a Porsche. Um, and he said to me and bought me lunch one day. Um, that's a recurring thing. My former students look at me and say, come on, I guess you can copy it. So yeah. lunch, blah, blah. And he said to me, so when are you going to write a book? You know, Because I mean, he, I've, I've watched you. I've seen the show. You know, you do this yeah. show five days, five times a, a day. W- when are you going to write it? Why don't you write a book? And I said, Well, you know, people have been asking me that, but I don't want to write a How to Be a Teacher book. Uh, I so I decided to to write meetings at the Metaphor Cafe, which was told through the eyes of four students, um, and how they saw a fictional version of me, but. But it was actually what I did in the course of a calendar year in American literature, from the beginning of from the very first thing I taught, which was this, uh, a song by Jewel called My Hands, all the way to the very last thing I taught, which would have been Catcher in the Rye, where Holden Caulfield catches people in his hands when they fall off a cliff. And, and in between were going to be all the stories of novels, poems, the whole, whole shebang. And so I said to him that day, you know what, this summer vacation, I'm going to start the book and then I'm going to write it as it's happening. So I literally would teach it that day and then that night, get down at the dining room table and write what happened uh, through the eyes of these four kids. And I promised myself that I would finish it on the night of graduation. And I did the last chapter is called Graduation. And then I just sat there with the book and thought, well, they you know, wrote it. <laughs> now what? Who who cares about some, you know, at the time, I think I was a 54 year old teacher, you know, I don't have any connections to publishing. I don't have, I don't have, none of my, they, I, not one of my students turned turn into a literary agent for Christ. Yes. You know, so um, then one day a kid walked in and said, you know, Mr. Pacilio, I work for a company called CreateSpace. And yeah, we, we can, we can just publish a book, you know, you have to do all the work though. Uh And you have to figure out how to lay it out and make a cover and everything, you know? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I did that. And I I hired people to help me. And, um, and then the book was out. And I I have to say one of the most rewarding days was when I walked into a teacher's classroom and every kid had a copy of the book on their desk. And, and here I was, uh, a self-published author with all the kids having a book on it, and, and And a kid put up his hand and said, hey, Mr. Bacilio, um, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a Hispanic character in, in your book. And I said, yeah, I know. I, I, I kind of messed that one up. Well, there was, but it's very minor. That's why the, the sequel's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's and this, the rest of history. You know, I just sort of and the first two books were young adult books about the same four kids. And then, um, uh, and then I wrote uh, adult contemporary books that dealt with issues that I think Bruce has dealt with as well. Uh, characters that, uh, physically or emotionally mentally had issues and how, how they would recover from them.
1: You, you mentioned that, uh, I guess you are a regular contributor on medium and, yeah. uh, you have an essay six springsteen songs to teach talk to me a little bit about that and i guess we don't want to go through all six songs and spoil it we want people to go to the and and read but tell me a little bit about that
0: well it's been interesting uh the uh, viewership uh, or the people who viewed them because on one particular case 1200 people have viewed it and then another case about 40 people the ghost of tom joad uh which was one of them that was not viewed by a lot, but I wrote that one because um, I would always teach that uh, with poverty and and, uh, and the depression and unemployment. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the big hit that I wrote was when I wrote um, uh, Thunder Road and the dead poet society. Okay. And because I would teach my, uh, my freshmen, the dead poet society. Uh, And uh, I would show them the film and stop it on numerous occasions to explain how profound it was, particularly the portion where John Keating says, words and ideas can change the world. You know, so what will your verse be? I mean, I literally had to, I played it, like I rewound it three times for the kids to get it all. And I told them to take notes on it. I want you to, there's one thing you remember It's that. Because when I get done, I'm going to tell you I'm going to listen. I'm going to make you listen to what that verse sounds like. And so when it was done, when the film was done, I had the kids in a circle. I had all the lights out. I had a candle candle in the middle of the room and I played Thunder Road. Uh And I looked around at all of them as it was finishing. And then I played it again. I played it first, the original version. And then I think I played a him just on the piano version. And I looked at the kids and I said, the same thing that you said. Okay. You're married are you going to get in that car with this person who is utterly devoted to you? Not because of your looks, not because of your charm, but because of your heart and soul. Are you going to do that? And at what age are you going to do that? Because you don't have to do it now. You're only 14, 15, but sometime in your life, you've got to make that jump, take that risk. And you've got to, Know that you're taking that risk for somebody who really cares about you and, uh, and is pulling out of here to win. And boy, I tell you, the looks on the kids, it didn't matter if it was a girl or a guy, because I would say that to them. You know, Mary is, is, a, is a symbolic character. You know, you, 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 you make the choice. It doesn't matter your sexuality. You make that choice of who that partner is going to be. I said, to, I, I said to them, I did not make that decision until I was 29. 29. So when I was 23, 24, and, and I I didn't know who I was yet. It takes a while. Anyway, that that particular um, piece that I wrote, 1,200 people have read that. Yep. Also, the recent piece I wrote uh, about the Ukraine and and the land of hope and dreams, that has like 700, 800 people have read that one now. And uh, because that's I mean, that's what those people are fighting for. They're fighting yeah. for they're fighting for something we just take for granted every day. Yeah. We don't even think about it that we, we-
1: Yeah, I, I, I I've talked about and it's not quite true but I think I feel like it's symbolically, um, "Land of Hope and Dreams" and "American Land" mm-hmm. are what a lot of people think "Born in the USA" is about. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I was I, uh, the on any given day, "Land of Hope and Dreams" and "Better Days" are my two favorite mm-hmm. Springsteen songs. That's I. That's um right. I've used better day multiple times in business meetings sure. when I talk about the idea of if it is life is a journey and these are the better days that mm-hmm. too many people focus on. Well, when I get the promotion, then mm-hmm. I'm going to be happy when I get the kids out of diapers, then I'm going to be happy. You right. know, when I find my soulmate, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is that, you know, uh, waiting for my life to begin, you know that line, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So it's all been wasting away. So, um, and then a few years ago, especially when we were having all this discussion about, you know, on the border and 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 the people, mm-hmm. you know, being jailed and children being separated, I the the lyrics of American Land really moved me. You know, the yeah. I, you know, the people that built the country they're trying to keep out. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, it was tough, by the way, to just pick six six, six songs. Yeah,
1: uh, um,
0: but um, I did. One of the essays was about "Born in the USA," and I would explain yeah. to the kids that look, this is this is an angry song. Yes, and this is this this you, know, you hear when he, when he when he screams um, in it. That is a primal scream that we we just, especially for his generation. Yeah they just screwed, I mean, they were just screwed over, uh, by, yeah. by, uh, by either bad intentions or, um, yeah, opinions, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Um, are there albums or songs that mean a lot to you that you go to routinely that you've returned to when you need either solace or need to celebrate that, that mean a lot to you?
0: Uh, Mary's place is one. Um, In the book that I wrote, um, uh, Meetings at the Metaphor Cafe, um, chapter three is entitled 9-11, The Rising. And um, I realized on the actual day of 9-11 back then, I was teaching that morning and I'm driving to work and here in in California time and this, this thing is happening. One tower has been hit. I walk into a classroom of 30 freshmen, 14-year-old kids, and they're like, what's going on, Mr. What, what's happening? Before that, I went into the faculty lounge, and all of us were gathered around TV. Of course, the principal wasn't around. And we're like, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And I walked into the classroom, and the kids said to me, what's going on? What's happening? And I said, uh, okay, <laughs> sit down. I'm going to try to tell you. I'm going to tell you about this. and um, and so. Thankfully, I guess a year or two later, when Bruce came out with The Rising, it, it created for me, I think it was the next year, it created for me a way to say, it's September 11th, and today it's all about The Rising. And I, I picked about five or six songs from the album, put slides to them, played it, explained it, and um, it became, I, I, I should explain, um, Jesse, that when I taught, I had a partner who taught history next door. And we had the exact same kids. So we were a village. So when the bell rang, the kids switched rooms. Well, on this particular day, we had all the desks outside and all the kids brought their beach chairs and they all gathered in one, one classroom. And it was we were packed. And um, and we had guest speakers uh, who came in from who had, you know, who had been in New York because uh, the word kind of got spread. This is a show. This you got to see this. I mean, teachers who didn't have classes that period, they, they were in the room. Yeah. And, um, and I remember one girl said to me, um, uh, and I would venture to bet that, you know, this was probably the only class that she was really doing pretty well. In. And she said, Mr. Batillo, you know, how you passed out the lyrics, these songs. Well, they're going on my wall and I'm, I'm never taking them down. Um, I mean, the songs of course were the rising and empty sky and, um, but Mary's Place was the last song. And in it, I had everyone get up. And I used to teach the kids to dance you know, when we got to Great Gatsby. Well, I grabbed my partner, who was a woman, and I said, we're going to, and I would take her and I would do a swing dance. And I'd turn her once and the kids just were up. And I'll send you a picture of it. And, nice. um, and the joy that that song brought. It's like, you guys, I, I know the 9-11 happened. I know that there is evil out in this world. But but we gotta we gotta hold hands, we gotta embrace the moment. Um, and we gotta meet at Mary's place because we're gonna have a party. Um and you know, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. And if, people would say to me a lot of times, you know, Bob. I, I can't do Bob, you know. You, you're you, you're a showman up there, you know. You're, and I, I said, I yeah, I know I kind of am, but you don't need to be Bob. But take some of the things I'm doing and do it do it do it your way. You know, take take some of the material, or don't even take any of the material, but just take music, uh, and and make it yours. And there was a song by Jewel called "I'm So Sensitive," and one of my colleagues said. You know, Mr. Pacilio, he's got a Springsteen thing going on. That's not me. I, I'm, a, I'm a gal and, and I'm sensitive. And I, and I want you guys to know that, that you can hurt each other's feelings. And she played the song and kids were crying. And I think got it. It's like it's so hard sometimes to, to, to reach, to reach. You know, I think at the beginning of the book, the first book I wrote, I wrote, um, um, this is dedica- this book is dedicated to teachers who teach two kids not at kids. And so many of my colleagues taught at them. They got behind a podium or a PowerPoint. They just, they taught at them. You kids better get this. And I came from a whole different thing. If, if I couldn't, if what I was teaching didn't reach them, then I ain't teaching it. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. The You know, I... I listen to nine, you know i listen to the rising every 9-11 um, i've shared this my father died on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 uh so that date has a kind of extra special sadness to me because not only remembering the tragedy in new york and and everywhere else but you know the anniversary of it reminds me of my father so i always say that i listen to the rising and johnny cash mm-hmm. because my father loved johnny cash um i i think right it, there is a i i have a sports station here in dallas that i listen to and it's very successful and they talk about all the time that other stations try to copy what they're doing. And, you know, like the, uh, the station calls their listeners P ones cause that's a radio term for, you know, back in the day when you used to have preset one, preset two, preset three. Right. And so a P one is someone who, that is your preset. Their radio will be on that station. And, uh, so they'll try to, well, we're going to start calling our listeners this and that's going to capture the magic without understanding that, no, you can't just take a Bruce Springsteen CD, play it, and now you're going to capture the magic of being Mr. Basilio, right? It, It isn't, I, if you don't have the heart, if you're not doing what you sharing of yourself, it, it's, there won't be magic. And that could be whether... Let's say you, you loved baseball, but let's say you've got a teacher that is that is obsessed with sports. You can work that into what you're teaching and your kids will catch that passion. Would you? Right. Is that what you're kind yeah. of saying?
0: Uh, yes, that, that is. Um, uh, I, I was just always uh, touched by my students who would uh, get on Facebook or email me and say, I just saw Bruce Springsteen in, in, uh, yeah. in Connecticut. And thank you. Yeah. Mr. Julio, yeah. Um, or um, I, I do think that um, one of the things was uh, I just had a student who uh, wrote me and said, you know, I never really liked perspiring, <laughs> but yeah. he said that wasn't the point. The point was that you got me interested in music, and so uh, and interested in listening to it and 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 going to live concerts and. Uh, And that's made all, that has made all the difference. And um, yeah, so I used to say that to kids all the time. I know, I know. And and I I would always emphasize to them that during the course of the year, I'm going to play all kinds of different music uh, here. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, And um, uh, I used in my classroom, I had album covers that went all the way around the room. Uh, And on one side, there was um, Stevie wonders uh, songs, in the key of life, and then there would be <laughs> right under me. By the way, it was Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, and I used to say to the kids when the movie came out, "See, that's the guy right there. That's the yeah, real. That's lover.
1: the guy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he's looking right at you. You know." And I had a, I had a Cindy Lauper. She's so unusual. I would say to the kid, "Boy, you dress and just. You look just like Cindy Lauper today." Yeah. On the last day, I was done teaching. I, I said to the kids, "Guys, you can come in, and if you first come, first serve." I'll take the album off the wall, and um, and uh, and, I, and I had to go find the album, and you know, because the covers were on the wall, but not yeah. the albums. And I remember this girl who <laughs> she came in, had the hair and all different colors. And you had, "I gotta have the Cindy Lauper album," you know. So I think that you know, I think the key is that uh, about passion is that the moment they would step into my room they were in a different universe, a different world, a place where they could share things that were personal, whether they were writing it. Um, uh, I used to always let my room be open at lunch. I mean, I never locked the door mm-hmm. because there were all those kids who just had no other place to go. They just eat lunch in my room. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, the word was locals only, which was, you know, kind of a code for, you know, this is Mr. Machillo's room. You don't screw around here, but yeah. you can be here, and um, uh, and so you create that ambiance. Starbucks does that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they first opened, it was like everyone wanted to go there because it was this hip, cool place that you know it, it had a vibe. It had a place you could hang out. It was a it was like a, a coffee version of Cheers. Yeah, um, and that's what I tried to create, and um, and uh, my students' artwork because they were, you know, there a lot of kids would we put all that up and everything, and, and it was like a museum. I remember back to school night, the parents would come in and go, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is my world!" Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you
1: miss teaching?
0: Yeah, I, I think that any any master craftsman misses it. Um, craftswoman doesn't. Yeah, you know what I mean, because it, it's an it's it's an art, and um, you kind of miss the opportunities to to do it. But I I have to say that the man who graduated who who left and graduated in at fifty five, and I'm now sixty six. I've learned some important lessons. I I went and right before COVID hit. I was at a high school and a teacher asked me to come in, and I I taught um, a Bruce Springsteen lesson. Um, I taught the River and Tucson Train, and What I wanted to teach the kids was this is young love and boy, it can, it it can go wrong. It can go bad. But in Tucson train, that same man, hypothetically, and that same woman, um, they've learned these lessons hard, the hard way. And now he's waiting on that Tucson train to try again to to make it right. Well, (laughs) halfway through this, this, one-hour show, and I was going to do two shows that day, I had to go sit down, Jesse. I mean, I could just feel that the guy who could be up there with four, with four switches on, full power, I was down to impulse power quickly. I had to sit down and catch myself. So what I've learned is that um, when I go to a school now or go into a classroom, I really have to pace myself. Because um, and and you know what's am- amazing is Bruce is up there seventy, yeah, in three hours, right? He can rock and roll, and here I am just trying to teach a class. And I, I think part of it is you know that when you go in as a guest teacher and you're thinking, "Man, I got to prove myself."
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So you you're you're just too high, and yeah. um, Whereas you know when you're teaching every day, you don't have yeah. to do anything.
1: You've built up that credibility. Yeah. I've never heard the river and the Tucson train connection. I love that so much. And I will, I, I will, um, bring that up when we have a discussion, Tucson train is one of my favorite songs Mm -hmm. because just that hope that hope Mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I, I picture in my mind, the, the dialogue of, look, just give me a weekend just mm-hmm. just come give me a weekend I'm a um, guy. you know yeah we'll we'll, we'll, we'll. i'll i'll put you up in a separate room i'll put you up in a hotel mm-hmm. i won't mm-hmm. no pressure just just give me a weekend to show you how a man can change right exactly
0: and, and once again he's, he's calling out to mary remember bruce always said yeah. that on the road was an invitation for this
1: yes for people yeah um We're going to end with you and I cannot wait to hear your Mary question answer, Uh, Mm -hmm. but someone recently uh, said that they connected Thunder Road to to Moonlight Motel. Oh, yeah. And they said that by far that their answer was, yes, Mary gets in the car and that Moonlight Motel, they get in the car, they drive to California, Mm -hmm. they spend their life together and Moonlight Motel is the Singer of Thunder Road mourning Mary's death, Mm, that they had a life together, which gives Moonlight Motel a whole different feel.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Well, this is gonna, this is gonna, this is an uh, an aha moment. Yeah, but uh, I, but I I got my car and I drove about seven minutes. Mm -hmm. I would be at the Moonlight Motel. Wow, here in Encinitas, Moonlight Beach Mm -hmm. is. Is 10 minutes from my house. And uh, yeah. Matter of fact, the, I think one of my most recent books is called meet me at moonlight beach. Yeah. And, uh, the title came <laughs> to, came to me. When, uh, I couldn't figure out a title for this book. And my wife said, well, meet me over at the benches at moonlight beach. And I said, wait, wait, wait what did you say? Uh-huh, <laughs> me moonlight uh-huh. beach. And I went, there it is. That's the title. Uh, there is a moonlight motel right there. It's in much better shape than the one that, that Bruce talks yeah. about. But yeah. Um, that is very, very interesting that, you know, I would think that when, when they headed, headed West and went to the, it was, it was, it was the cat's meow in its time, the pool, yeah. you know, it was kind of the 19, 1970s sure. deco yeah. avocado art. And, um, and, um, and now, you know, look at it, you know, it's, it's fallen apart and, mm-hmm. um, and, I, I love that song. Um, it is, man, that song just, it's, it stops me. Mm-hmm. Another one that does is, um, is uh, North of Nashville. Yeah. I mean, that just stops me. Uh, I think of all of the people who, who, you know, um, I mean, the, the millions of people who, who want to be an artist of, of of the statue of bruce springsteen and they dream of that but they either don't have that magic or it's just a it's just a, a, little, a, a little spurt of it and, and that's all they got or they just don't they don't have the means you know mm-hmm. uh,
1: do you, uh i think western stars is similar to a collection of like elmore leonard short stories Mm-hmm. I mean, just it's 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 just a wonderful little collection. Exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on "Letter to You"?
0: I love "Letter to You." I, I don't love it as much as "Western Stars." I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, the song "Letter uh, Letter to You" is just perfect. Right. I mean, and 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 "Ghosts" is perfect. And and I know that he's writing about mm-hmm. the idea that that he's so lucky to still be here and doing this when everyone else that he knows, yeah. That, you know, I get that, and it's he's definitely thinking about the end and death and, and all that. Uh, so, in that respect, you know, it's um, it's uh, sometimes a sad album, a sad album, um, sure. and and really personal to Bruce, uh, but um, um, but you know. I, I think part of it was when I went to see Western Stars at a movie theater uh, yeah. first time, and uh, my my wife turned to me and said, "Okay, we gotta see this again." Yeah, and we're in the, in the middle of a movie, and that would be that was something for for my wife to say. We gotta see this again, right? Yeah, uh, it was just I mean the the violins, the orchestra, Bruce, the whole thing. I was just I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in that barn watching. Yeah. Um, So there was something about that. And I I think that in a way, Western stars, it, um, I don't know, it kind of, it was a culmination of the the fact that Bruce is, is is, he is a, he's a symphony. And it's not, he's not, that's the, not just this guy with the guitar, even though some of my favorite songs are just Bruce on the guitar. Sure. But he, he is this majestic symphony. I, I love watching the violins and the, the look on the, on their faces as they get to do something that's rock and roll, you know? And, yeah. and uh, it's just great. So, yeah. I forgot um, what your question was. No,
1: no, you answered. <laughs> uh, what couple of questions then we'll wrap up. Um, are there a wish list of songs that when he tours again and you're there um, in the, you know, venue, are there songs that's on your wish list you're hoping to hear him play?
0: Yeah, Girls in their Summer Clothes, because I know that's one of my wife's favorite. Yes. Uh, Bobby Jean, uh, meet, me, uh, meet Me Out of the Street. Um, yeah. Uh, those are just, uh, those three come to mind right away uh maybe because he doesn't always play them um yeah and uh, they're just they're just such joyful songs i mean when you were saying you know is there a song that you'll have to listen to that just gets you that's like yeah, yeah. i gotta hear that song again um um pink cadillac um, yeah and so um and 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 I'm one of the few people who can say that I saw him play Santa Claus coming to town and how much joy that was. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Clarence was alive and everything. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, those are just some of them. I'm, I, I imagine that um, I'll. Uh, uh, gosh, this is so many, but uh,
1: yeah. So what's next? What's next for Bob? What's next for you creatively?
0: Well, I I I wrote a book called Whitewash, which I was originally a play I wrote back when I was 21 um, about a politician who uses racist language against his opponent who is black, and the question is, does that politician incite a riot? I wrote this when I was 21 back in 1978, and during COVID, my friend said to me, you need to novelize that. You know, we we've seen the play a couple of times, and you need to. So, I I, matter of fact on. So on March 30th, I'm speaking at the uh, Encinitas Library about that book and the, um, and the, the contemporary book I wrote called Meet Me at Moonlight Beach. Um, but, you know, I'm still a, uh, a self, um, uh, a self-published author. I, um, you know, I, I, I every time I've tried to go, go mainstream, I find that, um, that the things that, um, the, the, the barriers that i put down, um, there are no vampires, no ridiculous cursing. Nobody's going to get shot in the head. Nobody's going to get cancer at the last minute. None of this really, they're really, um, that's so cheesy is the word that kids use a lot. None of the really cheesy, I ain't going put any of that in my books. Okay. And, and, and so, you know, I guess agents look at this and go, eh, 66-year-old guy, sorry, I can't sell it. Yeah. Which is ironic because I can, but, you know, Whatever you know, I just do yeah. my own thing. I have my own little uh, limited liability company, and you know it, it'll always limit me. Um, but you know, it, I just got to, you know, in the words of Fleetwood Mac, I'm just going to go my own way.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. If someone wants to find out more about the your writings, to purchase the books, uh, to hear more about you, where do they go?
0: Uh, www. robert pachilio. .net is my website, um, and uh, uh, they could they could easily type "Metaphor Cafe" into a Google search, and they'd, they'd see okay. that book. Um, um, is it, give, yeah.
1: Go ahead. Yeah. No. Is it better to buy it from your website, Amazon? Does it matter?
0: Um, well, some you have two ways. You can uh, by going to my website, you can purchase a copy that I would then sign and mail to you. I always pay pay the shipping on I'm, I'm not into this yeah. for the money. Um, right, but uh, but people go to Amazon. They can buy it as a Kindle. They can buy you know all the books. Okay. So, they all also can order them at Barnes and Noble. Uh, once Barnes and Noble realizes that you, that somebody's going to do an article on you, or mm-hmm. all of a sudden your book shows up there at Barnes and Noble. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I, I was so surprised. Uh-huh. Sunday Union did an article about Moonlight Beach, the book I wrote, and uh, lo and behold, bang, it shows up at the at the Encinitas Library. I didn't even realize it was there. You know, so. Yeah, they keep their you know, social networks, safe. They, okay. they know how to operate.
1: And you continue to write for medium.com?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of do that as a um, in-between novels or just sometimes, you know, on a lark, I, you know, uh, my goal was always to kind of, I tried, uh, it cost $50 to be a partner. And I, <laughs> I try to always at least uh, make... <laughs> make a few cents and get the $50 back. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, the Springsteen book, uh, article I wrote that has, you know, a thousand viewers made 19 yeah. cents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. But but then I can write something about um, about Judge Thomas and and it'll make a dollar or two, whatever. Yeah. But I, I, I enjoy writing those Good. short essays. They're kind of fun.
1: Good. Um, is there anything I should have asked you, Bob, that I haven't? Um, Anything else you wanted to cover?
0: Uh, boy, we really covered the gamut, Jesse. Huh? <laughs> That's <laughs> my you, hope.
1: That's my hope. A, when I, the, I have to tell
0: you: somebody who I don't know, but who yeah. is fairly um, well connected in Washington D.C. Yeah, on Facebook said uh gave me a uh, one of those emojis like a, a wow emoji when they were when they thought that i was speaking to jesse jackson today yeah <laughs> and I, I had to write her and say okay this is this do jesse jackson about yes. the one that you're not thinking of." yes um so i just figured i'd add that yes i know you wanted I, I to answer that... the question about mary
1: yes we do so okay if you are a former student of uh Mr. Pachilio and you are listening to this podcast or if you are a fan of his writings and this is the first time you've heard set lusting Bruce, first off thank you for checking this out Um, Jay Armstrong is someone who is a spiritual brother to Mr. Pachilio, Jay Armstrong is a former honors English teacher, Mm -hmm. Uh, he just recently retired he has a new book out bedtime stories for the living uh it talks about he was diagnosed with a um pretty severe illness and how he's dealing with that but when he taught Mm -hmm. he taught honors english Mm -hmm. and he would take two days and his seniors would break apart thunder road Mm -hmm. they would look at the lyrics they would talk at the imagery compare it to robert frost the road not taken Yes, exactly. And then at the end of the two days, he would say, Does Mary get in the car? Mm-hmm. So that is the Mary question, Bob. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Um,
0: the romantic in me says yes. The realist in me, um, I think, says yes, too. Um, although, boy, um, She is awful scared. Um, uh, Awful frightened. Um, And, you know, we live in a very frightened world right now. People fear. The the, the world is out there trying to, the media is out there. There's an awful lot of fear. Yeah. And you're you're afraid of strangers. But if you live your whole life and you never get off that porch, then... um, then uh, I guess it was Thoreau that said, well, well, then, and you haven't lived, you've never even tried to suck the marrow out of life. Yeah. Um, so I, I, both the realist and the romantic say that the romantic says she throws herself into his arms and they take off down Thunder road. And the realist says she creeps in and buckles up, buckles her seatbelt and makes sure there's an airbag because this is going to be a rough ride.
1: I love that answer. <laughs> I love this. Uh, my friend, I cannot wait. I'm going to go, uh, check out your books. Uh, I am looking forward to reading them. Uh, thank you so much. Once again, www.robertficilio.net. I will have a link in the show notes. Any final thoughts before we get out of here?
0: Here's one last story I'll tell you. Um I was recently put in the uh, hall of fame at the high school as a teacher and nice do that. But I I said to the when I when I said to the audience I said you know my my favorite story that I tell as a teacher is I had a young man in my class um who was um glasses thick glasses a little little chubby um, really smart and when I began teaching the kids how to dance during the great Gatsby and they had taught him the Foxtrot and the swing. He, he was so into it. I mean, he would come after school because he wanted one or more lessons and the kids would just come, you know, and he'd, he'd dance with any girl that was there. And uh, finally, when the dance was done and he had danced with 25 girls, he he stayed there and, and helped put everything away. And he looked at me and my partner, Christiana, and he said, Mr. Piciliano, Miss Jenny, you know, this was the best day of my life because I never thought I'd get to dance with twenty-five beautiful girls. And my partner teared up, and I just—I goosebumped. And um, he ended up going to the University of Nebraska, having his eyes adjusted, having his jaw adjusted because it was kind of off center. And uh, his name is Ben, and I—I—I I, I, I haven't found him yet. I know he's out there, you know, and uh, I—I'd love to hear how his life you know, went because. Because um, that's what you do it for. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what you do it for. You do it for the bands out there. It's been a blast. I, oh, you know, good. it's like when you go to a Bruce freezing concert and you're with everybody. They're all like, "We're all the same brotherhood and sisterhood." Yes. So I get to actually talk to somebody. And I, I feel like I'm at a concert, with you know, when the two of us yeah. are sitting there, you know, talking before the show starts. So it's been, yeah, um, I it's been great.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. Yeah. When people will ask me, I tell them what my hope is that um, the goal is that you, if you're listening to this, will feel like you're in the queue Mm -hmm. for a Springsteen show and you're overhearing a conversation, you know, and and the idea that you want. So thank you so much, Bob. This is amazing. Listeners, go be safe. Go check out Robert's uh, website. Uh, go get vaccinated. Go get boosted. Let's mm-hmm. all be kind to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. That's right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jesse. Take care.
0: Bye bye. I want and need your feedback.
1: You can reach me multiple ways to tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter at setlustingbruce or at jessejacksondfw. I have an Instagram, setlustingbruce or jessejacksondfw. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show. And we have several tiers of support. Please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow. If you're not tired of hearing me speak, you can hear me on Next Stop Everywhere, the Dr. Who podcast, where Charles Skaggs and I talk all things Dr. Who. The How Many podcast, where me and my friends Gary, Scott, Bob, and Junior talk pop culture. And finally, my newest podcast, the last Best Hope for Conversation, a Babylon 5 podcast, where Karen, Lou, and I are going through the TV show Babylon 5 one episode at a time. I'm always looking for guests, so please reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one the only Bruce. The theme for setlisting Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football